Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and um, we thank you that uh, your spirit, which inspired your word, now dwells within us and that you guide us and illuminate our minds in the reading of your word and we pray that you would do that now as we turn to uh, Ruth 3 and we look for Christ in the midst of this story of two widows and a farmer. We pray that you would help us to see him and to love him. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Good morning. It is now the third Sunday of Advent, and we are also in the third chapter of the book of Ruth. And we've chosen the book of Ruth for the season of Advent because the story culminates in the birth of a child who turns out to be the grandfather of the great King David and the many great grandfather of the even greater King Jesus. The story of Ruth is therefore a crucial piece in the grand story of redemption. Even though humanity rebelled against God, our creator, in an attempt to be our own gods and to determine our own truth, still God loved us. From the moment we rejected him and fell into a state of misery, he had plans to redeem us and to make all things new again. Every blade of grass, every star in the sky, every creature in the vast ocean or dense wilderness. His plan of redemption is truly cosmic and its scope. And the book of Ruth tells us the surprising way in which God accomplishes this grand plan of his. God progresses his plan of redemption through the mundane obedience of people who are inconsequential in the eyes of the world, but are significant because God loves them, and they in turn have learned to love him above all things. The story in Ruth is of two widows and a farmer, but the convergence of their inconsequential lives results in a crucial step forward in God's plan of redemption. In the second chapter of the book, which we looked at last week, the narrator was training us to see God's hand at work in weaving together the stories of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. Naomi and Ruth were both powerless and poor. They were widows. Naomi was beyond the age for childbearing, and Ruth, although still young, was a foreigner, a Moabite, who consequently carried with her a certain stigma within the land of Israel due to the shady origin of the Moabites. They were without hope. But there was a rich relative who might be able and willing to help, and this was Boaz, of course. And in chapter 2, the narrator skillfully trains us to trace the hand of God in leading the young Ruth to the rich Boaz. She just so happened, wink, wink, to stumble upon his farm when she was looking for a place to work. And at that very moment, Boaz just so happened, wink, wink, to come home and find her at work in his field. These are no coincidences, the narrator is telling us. This is the providence of God. He is weaving together the story of redemption behind the scenes, as it were. But in chapter 3, which we come to today, All the winking and the suggestive comments that such and such just so happened are suddenly and strangely absent. He does not take us behind the curtain to see the hand of God at work in secret. Rather, we experience the story as Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz must have experienced it in real time 
with all the uncertainties and anxieties of the moment. The spotlight is firmly fixed on this trio of characters, but God is strangely absent from the narrative in chapter 3. He was not actually absent in the events of chapter 3. To say that would betray that we learn nothing from chapter 2. But he is left out of the narrative because in chapter 3, the, narrate, the narrator is emphasizing humanity's responsibility to participate in the progression of God's plan of redemption. He firmly established in chapter 2 that God was actively involved, albeit from behind the scenes. But in chapter 3, the emphasis is shifted to the actions of our trio to remind us that God often uses us as an answer to our very own prayers. The question of chapter 3 is, if you pray for it, if you pray for it, are you also ready to participate in the way God answers your prayer? Or to put it another way, if you ask for it, are you ready to also own it? Each of the characters in this story express a desire for God to act in some way. They are praying. And God positions each one of them to participate in the fulfillment of of their godly desires. The prayer of Naomi is captured in the first chapter when she's encouraging her daughter-in-laws to leave her to return to their families in Moab. May the Lord deal kindly with you, she says, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you, in the house of your husband. Ruth's prayer was that her daughter-in-laws might not taste the same bitterness and emptiness that have come to characterize her life after the death of her husband and two sons. And Orpah took Naomi up on her charge to return home. But as we have seen, Ruth clung to Naomi and returned to Israel with her. They were no longer living in a foreign land waiting for a famine to pass, but they remained as vulnerable as ever. And Naomi's prayer for Ruth was unchanged. The Lord grant that you may find security in the house of your husband. Which is why the mention of Boaz's name at the end of chapter, chapter 2 must have ignited her imagination. Ruth must have been asking God in secret, could it be that you are answering my prayer for Ruth? Is Boaz the one? His kindness to Ruth during the wheat and barley harvest sure seemed to suggest that Boaz had an affection for Ruth. At least there was compassion in his heart for her. And the coincidences of Ruth just so happening, wink, wink, to stumble upon his farm at the moment he also just so happened, wink, wink, to return home, seemed to have God's signature all over them. Naomi was tracing the hidden hand of God, and it seemed to be pointing to Boaz. Naomi also recognized that God had positioned her in the life of Ruth to participate in the fulfillment of this godly desire for her daughter-in-law. And this is made obvious in the first verse of chapter 3. There Naomi tells Ruth, my daughter, I need to seek some security for you so that it may be well with you. That was the exact content of the prayer she had been praying for Ruth since they were back in Moab for security. But now Naomi was seeing that God had so arranged her story that she was in the position to participate in the fulfillment of this godly request. If you ask for it, are you also ready to own it? Naomi had asked for it, and God had finally put her in a position to own it. 
And so Naomi begins to instruct Ruth as she participates with God in the fulfillment of her prayer. She instructs Ruth to get cleaned up, to anoint herself with oil, which one commentator points out was as common in antiquity as the modern use of cologne, and to put on her Sunday, her Sunday best. Naomi's prayer all along was not just for security, because security didn't exist in a vacuum. Security was found in marriage in that day. And so Naomi prayed for security in the house of your husband. It's clear that Naomi is instructing Ruth to get dressed up. Some scholars even suggest that Naomi is instructing Ruth to dress as a bride because she hopes that this plan will result in a marriage. She can't be certain about what will actually happen, which is why she instructs Ruth to do whatever Boaz tells you to do. But she knows that these are two godly people who admire each other for their godliness. And the hidden hand of God is pointing in Boaz's direction. Naomi knows where Ruth can find Boaz alone. It's down at the threshing floor. After a long day of work and a satisfying meal, Boaz will be lying in the threshed wheat to protect it from anyone who might want to walk off with his hard-earned harvest in the night. And when she finds him asleep, Ruth is to uncover his feet and to lay down at his feet. Boaz will take it from there. It was a plan that was risky and it was bold and it was verging on reckless. But it would be the way in which God answered her prayer. And at the same time, Naomi was praying for Ruth's security in the house of a husband. Boaz was praying for Ruth to have a reward from God for, her, for the faithfulness she had shown to Naomi ever since they left Moab. In chapter 2, verses 11 through 12, Ruth asks Boaz why he has been so kind to her. And this is what he says. All that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. May the Lord reward you for your deeds. And may you have a full reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Boaz wanted security for Ruth as well. He wanted God to give her security, to gather her under his wings like a mother hen does for her chicks when danger is near. He earnestly desired this for her and he made known this desire through prayer. May he cover you with his wings and reward you for your faithfulness. On the threshing floor that night, Boaz discovered what Naomi, what Naomi already suspected and Ruth challenged him to see that God was positioning him to participate in the fulfillment of his godly desire for Ruth. This realization comes for Boaz with a word play on the word for wings. Boaz was sleeping soundly and he turned over to get more comfortable when he kicked something. There was something at his feet. And when he opened his eyes to see what it was, he realized that this was not something, but someone and not just any someone, but a woman. Who are you? He asked in his surprise. And in the darkness, a voice spoke to him. I am Ruth. Gone is any mention of her foreignness. It's not I am Ruth the Moabite. Also gone is her derivative identity in relationship to Naomi. It's not, I'm Naomi's daughter-in-law. Instead, it's just plain Ruth. And she is already preparing Boaz to deal directly with her on a more even level. 
But then Ruth goes off script. She asks something of Boaz that Naomi didn't instruct her to say. This is Ruth speaking here. As she asks Boaz, spread your cloak over your servant. And it's easy to miss the incredible boldness of this request. But Ruth is not asking for Boaz to quit hogging the covers because she's cold. Ruth is asking for Boaz to marry her. She's proposing. But she was doing it in such a way that Boaz could understand, could see that this is what he wants too. Indeed, this is what he's been asking God for in his prayers. Boaz had prayed that God would shelter Ruth under his wing. And the word for, for wing is kanapayim. Ruth was asking Boaz to spread the corner of his garment over her. And the word for garment corner is kanap. Boaz desired Ruth to find shelter in God's kanapayim. And Ruth was asking to find shelter in Boaz's kanap. As one scholar observed, in essence, Ruth is asking Boaz to answer his own prayer. God had put him in the position where he could answer his own prayer and he would do it because he understood that God carries out his will on earth through our participation. That night he committed to marrying Ruth, but one hurdle still remained. It's a cliffhanger to get you to read chapter four. According to Jewish law, there was another man who was eligible to marry Ruth. In fact, he was more eligible than Boaz because he was a closer relative. Boaz would have to check with him first before the marriage could be planned between him and Ruth. And so he told Ruth to stay the night at his feet rather than make the dangerous walk home in the dark. And in the morning, we see that Ruth's request for marriage was also her way of participating with God in the fulfillment of her own prayers. Ever since they left Moab, Ruth had shown her love for Naomi and her desire that Naomi, although now empty and bitter, may one day again be made full and sweet again. She worked in the fields to try to restore hope to her mother-in-law, but something more was necessary for this prayer of hers to be answered in full. A child was necessary. But there were no children without marriage. So Ruth went off script when she saw that God had positioned her to answer her own prayer. She boldly requested Boaz's hand in marriage, and this would be the way God answered her prayer. We get a confirmation of this when in the morning, Boaz fills up Ruth's arms with barley and he sends her home to Naomi in order to, be, to begin filling up Naomi's emptiness. Hope comes to Naomi as Ruth participates in her own prayer. It's the way in which God works. He positions his children so that they might be uniquely placed to serve as the answer to their own prayer. And in this Advent season, we see the ultimate expression of this method. For the Son of God, ever since humanity's rebellion, desired our restoration and our redemption of all, and the redemption of all things. He prayed for it. And so God made him a body, a human body. And the Son of God became flesh, born of the Virgin Mary and the Holy Spirit. God was positioning him to be the answer to his own prayer. And Jesus participated in the fulfillment of his godly desire for us. A human being had to pay the penalty for our sin. But it had to be a perfect human being. 
And only God is perfect. And when we, what we needed was a, a God-man, someone fully God so that he could be perfect, and someone fully man so he could represent us and satisfy God's sense of justice. Only Jesus met those criteria. He alone was uniquely positioned for our redemption, and so he became the answer to his own prayer. He became our salvation and our redemption and our hope. For in his resurrection, we see what we will become through faith. Though we will all die, yet we will live. And one day we will be given new bodies and will dwell in a new earth and everything that is old and worn out will be restored. But it's because Jesus left heaven to come to us. His prayer was not passive, but active. He not only asked for our redemption, but he owned it and he took the responsibility for it. And until he comes again, he continues to position his children to do the same. To not just ask, but to be uniquely positioned to be the answer to your own prayer. When, what, when that prayer lines up with the will of God. And so I ask you, you parents who hope for your children to love Jesus, to go away to college and maintain their faith in Jesus, what are you doing to participate now in the answering of your prayer? Are you teaching them the beauty of the local church and the value of committing to a church? Are you establishing rhythms of worship and holiness in your homes, rhythms that will carry them through college? Do you pray with them? Do you read the Bible with them? I ask those of you who are grieved by your own sin and ask for God to deliver you from some besetting sin, what ways are you participating in the fulfillment of this prayer? What steps are you taking to eliminate temptation and distraction from Jesus? Things that appear extreme or make you weird in the eyes of the world, but it's your soul that's at stake. For those of you who pray for the lonely, what ways are you participating in the answer to your own prayer? Do you call? Do you visit? Do you send a card? If you desire unity across the borders that divide us, what are you doing to participate in the answer to your prayer? Are you seeking to understand those who are different from, your, from you politically or culturally? Are you listening? Do you assume good intent even? If you pray for your neighbor, do you know his or her name even? If you pray for the homeless, do you, do you feed them? Do you clothe them? Do you give them water to drink? If you pray for the church and are anxious for her success, do you give to her your time and talents, your money and energy? If you pray for healing in a relationship that has become strained, can you admit that it takes two to tango? Have you turned your gaze upon yourself? Have you forgiven or asked for forgiveness? You see, God is at work in this world and he's at work through you. He works within history. He works within time. He works within his church. He works within his children. And may you find that he is giving you the opportunity to be the answer to your very own prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.